Well, we uh, are going to continue our study today uh, of the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to be looking at chapter 2 today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I invite you to turn with me there. It's on page 986, uh, if you're using the Pew Bible. Now before I read this, I want to imagine that you are one of the Thessalonian Christians. Paul has come to your town, and he has told everyone who will listen about Jesus Christ. He began in the synagogue and preached for three weeks there amongst the Jews and those Gentiles who were God-fearers. And his message that he shares there and in the marketplace and wherever he went over that brief time that he was in Thessalonica, that message was very compelling to you and you turned from your idols. Imagine that you were a Gentile pagan. You turned from your idols to serve the living and true God and you're looking forward to Christ's return, just as it says there at the end of chapter 1. And in fact, his message causes such a stir in Thessalonica that the opponents of the gospel or the opponents of Paul and Christianity rise up and they, they cause all kinds of, of disturbance in town and a riot breaks forth so that, as a result, Paul is run clear out of town. He, he leaves in the night, only there a brief time. And so you and the others who have embraced Christ as your Messiah are left there in Thessalonica basically on your own, to face these rather determined opponents of the church, of the newly formed church in Thessalonica. Well, that would be a very discouraging place and time to live, I'm sure, there in Thessalonica with such opponents. And with those who probably got discouraged, you have friends who accuse Paul who of being just another one of these charlatans who travel up and down the Ignatian Way, the major highway that ran through there, uh, with a nefarious agenda. They're in it for themselves. They're just one of these uh, people who come along and try to gain a following for their own agenda. And after all, just look at Paul and how he tucked his tail and ran when the, the opposition got too hot. Wouldn't it be better just to forget Paul and his message and return to your earlier, easier way of life? Surely that was a temptation for the Thessalonians. And you can see how easy it would have been for them to be discouraged and to forget the good news that they heard and to abandon the faith altogether. Now you imagine yourself being Paul. Paul, who had only briefly been there in Thessalonica, run out of town as he was often persecuted wherever he went. And even as he moves on to Athens and preaches there, and then to Corinth, the next stop on his journey. And he's daily praying for all these churches that he's begun, thinking of the Thessalonians wondering in his brief stay there, are the people remaining faithful? What's going on there in Thessalonica? And then Timothy and Silas appear there in Corinth, and Paul hears that the Thessalonians are continuing to walk, with, walk in the faith, even in the face of great opposition. And so Paul sits down and he pins this letter and he writes to them to encourage them in their faith. And that's the context 
of the book as a whole, and it also helps us understand what we are reading here in chapter 2. So let's now, without further ado, read God's word from 1 Thessalonians 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and errant word. When I'm on vacation, I don't like to think about or deal with anything serious, and I'm sure you're the same. I want to relax and engage in enjoyable activities. Now, Biloxi, obviously, uh, is a vacation spot for many people and where our economy is built around tourism. And I believe it is a temptation for us permanent residents to fall into kind of a vacation mindset, a casual, laid-back, unserious way of thinking about things. Of course, we're surrounded by a beautiful beach. We have... Uh, hotels and casinos and restaurants and bars. We've got a baseball team. We've got Mardi Gras. An endless supply of wonderful, entertaining activities. Well, I say wonderful. I'm not espousing gambling or anything like that or drunkenness. But there's a lot of things to do, recreational things to do here in Biloxi, and it, the mindset creeps in. I find myself that way. You know, It would be nice to go sit out on the beach every day be nice to go eat at your favorite restaurant all the time. There's so many options. 
Well, it's easy for us to steal a title of a book from uh, Neil Postman. It's, it's easy for us to hear, especially, to entertain ourselves to death. It's easy for us to be so entertained that we lose our passion for what is really important in life and while away the hours, wasting away in Margaritaville. Hopefully you're not doing that. Well, my goal for us today as we consider this passage before us is to come away from this time grasping in a deeper way the seriousness of the gospel the weight of it, the importance of it in your life and in the life of others. Paul begins in verse 1 by saying, You yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Why was it not in vain? Well, it's because Paul and his companions were able to proclaim the gospel, and the Thessalonians heard it, and they responded appropriately to the gospel. That was his old goal in coming to the Thessalonians, to share the gospel. Now Paul mentions the gospel by name four times in the text that we just read, verse 2, verse 4, verse 8, and verse 9. And he indirectly refers to it uh, at the end of the chapter. But this word gospel, and we've talked about it a lot, and I've explained this before, but what is it? We throw it around, uh, that word gospel, but I think I want to reiterate to you once more, what is the gospel? Because it is the most important news that you will ever hear. The word gospel means good news. Now don't think of news like we have today. You know, our, our news has is, is got a little bit of news and a lot of commentary, a lot of spin to it. Um, you know, you can listen to a news report of this of, of an event. If you listen to CNN and you, you over here listen to Fox, you'll think you're listening to you're, you're hearing about two completely different events because it's got a different spin on it, a different take on it. But when the Bible talks about news, it means a strict reporting of what happened and who was involved. And the gospel is a record. It's the news of something that happened and who was involved in that happening, in that event. The gospel is the report of what the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, did in his life, his suffering and death, and then in his resurrection, and why he did those things, why those things happened to him. It's also important to note, as we think about this news, this event that happened to some 2,000 years ago, it's important that we note who was born and lived and suffered and died and rose again from the dead. And it's also, to, to, uh, it's also very important to note why he did all this. You know, because everyone, every, everybody is born, obviously. We're all born. And to some extent, more or less, everyone as a human being in our broken world suffers. And everyone is going to die. Resurrection, on the other hand, is a, is a different story. But this particular person's birth, life, death, and resurrection, why is it so important? What's so great about the news of his life, 
his birth, life, death, and resurrection. Well, what is significant about this news of birth, life, suffering, death, and resurrection is that it was the sinless Son of God sent from heaven to be born of a virgin so that he might live a perfect life in the face of his great sufferings and ultimately die on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of his people and to rise from the dead to guarantee his people's eternal life. That is the good news. That is the gospel. In time and space, on a date... In history, Jesus Christ did these things. It happened. It's history. And it's good news. It's the gospel. Now, there are some people, some so-called liberal theologians, liberal Christians, so-called Christians, who would like to deny some or all of the accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They say it doesn't really matter if Jesus actually lived at all. You know, we can follow the teachings of Christianity. We can follow the ethic and the morality of it, and that would be a good thing. But that completely obliterates the fact that what we're called to believe is a gospel. News. Something that actually happened. You see, the gospel is an event. And if you say it doesn't matter that these events happen in history, then you've taken away the good news. What you have left is just a a list of rules, do's and don'ts. So it's important, it's very vitally important that we understand that the gospel is the record of the most important event that ever happened or will ever happen. Therefore, it must be carefully proclaimed and carefully heard. And I want to explore those two things because that's what we see here in chapter 2. How Paul carefully proclaimed the gospel and how the Thessalonians listened or heard the gospel. Let's look at those two things in, in, uh, in turn. First, we see here the care by which the gospel is proclaimed by Paul points to the gravity of the gospel. It points to how important it is. See how Paul talks about his ministry. First of all, in verse 2, Paul shows us or explains that the gospel is so important that Paul was willing to suffer to proclaim it. He says, he notes that uh, he had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. You remember what happened at Philippi. He went there and he preached and was there for a period of time. He ends up healing this little girl who was possessed by a demon, a spirit of the python, which uh, that's what the literal Greek is. Uh, it was a belief that this, uh, some of these people who were clairvoyant, they could foretell the future. They spoke in strange voices as, and they were, because they were possessed. Uh, they, were, uh, they had the spirit of the python that guarded the temple of Apollo. And so people would come and hear what she would say. And her masters were making money off her. It was literally some sort of a, kind of what we would call today a freak show. And people would come and pay money to hear these strange utterances from this woman. Well, Paul cast the demon out of her, and that made the people who were making money off of her really angry. And so Paul ends up getting thrown in prison after being beaten with rods. He was caned. Punished, 
set in prison. And of course we know that the angel of the Lord appeared and let them out of prison. And the Philippian jailer and his family ended up becoming believers as well. So Paul then moves on to Thessalonica. But you see there, he had been treated horribly there in Philippi and might be tempted to say, well, this is just crazy. I'm getting killed here for doing all this. And, and of course, we can note that Paul's other journeys were fraught with all kinds of difficulty. He was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was left for dead on occasion. Uh, horrible suffering. Why? Because he was called to take this most important news to the world. And nothing, I mean nothing, was going to stop him. Nothing. Not the threat of punishment, not being beaten with rods, not being thrown in prison, not even death itself. So Paul was ready to suffer for it. And so he went into Thessalonica and even there, in the face of opposition, he proclaimed the gospel. Went to Athens, same thing. Went to Corinth, same thing. Over and over again. So you see, it must have been of vital importance for this man Paul to go to so much trouble, to face so much opposition, to share it. And then we also see that the gospel is so important that Paul was careful to proclaim it correctly. You read there in chapter, in verse 3. Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. See, they were just, just the facts, man. You remember the old TV show, uh, the police show, Just the Facts, Man. That's what Paul was laying out there, the facts of the matter about Jesus and, and what he did and why he did it. Paul was careful to stick to those facts and explain those facts. Verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So he had been given a commission by God to go and share this message. And so he was very careful to share this message, not his own agenda, not anything else. He spoke because God told him to speak these very important words. We also see that the gospel is so important that Paul proclaimed it without a personal agenda. Look at verse 5. We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. See, Paul, it wasn't about him. It wasn't about him. It was all about Christ. He wanted to share Christ with others. He wanted to tell the news of what Christ had done. And he wasn't in it for himself. There's a lot of preachers today that need to learn that lesson. How often do you see people, preachers, trying to make a name for themselves from their preaching or trying to get wealthy from their preaching? It's not about Christ at all. In fact, many of them hardly mention Christ. But for Paul, the message was everything. Pointing to Christ, telling what he had done, that was everything. Because it's so important. We also see here that the gospel is so important that Paul proclaimed it out of love. He, he compares himself in one, uh, in one verse here, verse 7, to a, a mother, a nursing mother. And then in verse 11, to a father. He has that sort of affection for the Thessalonians. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care 
of her own children. So being affectionately, affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Paul gave us all to these people to share with them this good news. And, and he notes there in verse 9, he says, You remember our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. See, Paul was, was like a mother. You know, a mother will do anything for her children. Uh, a mother will sacrifice greatly for her children. And that's what Paul's doing. He was not about to put them in a position where they had to constantly be thinking about how can we take care of Paul? What do we need to do for Paul? He didn't want them to think about Paul at all. He wanted them to think about Jesus Christ and that he came, he, he was born, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead, and, and the implications of that, and that's all he wanted them to think about, not him or his needs. And so he provided for himself so he could proclaim this good news. You are our witness, verse 10. God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. And then he compares himself to a father, and there in verse 11. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. In other words, we want you to uh, respond appropriately to this news. You get news, you get good news, and if it's uh, significant news, it calls for a response. How should you respond to this news? What should you do as a result of this news? If it's true that Jesus came and lived and, and died and rose from the dead, how should you respond? Paul talked to them about these things as he pointed them to Christ because he knew, Romans 1.18, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. See, Paul wanted the Thessalonians to be concerned about nothing but this good news because he knew it was life-changing, life-changing news. The power of God for salvation. People who are lost, who are destined for hell because, because of what Jesus did can be rescued from that. What's more important than that? And we see that in the way that Paul went and ministered to the Thessalonians. Well, secondly, not only do we see the importance of the gospel by the way Paul proclaimed it, we also see the importance of the gospel by the way that it was heard by the Thessalonians. The care by which it is heard points to the gravity of the gospel. Now, first of all, it tells us here, uh, verse 13, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Now, when he says that uh, when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, that's, that's another way of saying the word gospel. The word of God is the gospel. The gospel is the word of God. And that's what Paul proclaimed. And they accepted it not just as Paul's testimony, but as something from God, because it tells about what God did to save people. God is the one who loved us so much that he sent his only son into the world that if we believe in him, we would not perish but have eternal life. That's a word from God. In fact, Jesus is called the Word of God in John chapter 1. He is the one who has revealed God to us, his heart of love and sacrifice on our behalf, that we might have a relationship with him. So when we think about the gospel, 
when we think about this message. It's not just a great suggestion. It's not just something that I'm up here talking about. It's the Word of God. It's, it's God. He has preserved this news throughout the generations so that we could hear it and know it. You think about the important events in history that we have handed down to us. We know things from way back in time that have been passed along because they were important events. And there's none more important than what happened with Jesus Christ, him coming to earth, living, dying, rising from the dead. God has preserved that news for us. Many people would like to extinguish that news, to put it away. But God has preserved it, and we hear it, and we need to listen to it as the Word of God. It's God's Word to us. We also see, not only is it the Word of God, but the Gospel must be heard in spite of suffering. And, and you see the Thessalonians seeing the importance of the Gospel that they were willing to suffer for as well. They were left behind there in Thessalonica. And Paul compares them to the original Christians in, in Judea, the ones who initially uh, heard the gospel, thinking about the day of Pentecost when, when the disciples preached the gospel and many were brought into the church, thousands were brought into the church in Judea, and then persecution broke out against them, and that pushed the gospel out into the known world there. And Paul says, you're just like those, those people in Judea. You heard the word, you accepted it, even in face of suffering, and just as Paul did. He shared it in the face of suffering. They heard it and embraced it in spite of the suffering that was called because they recognized how important it was. And then finally, Paul gives us a, a bit of a warning here where he tells us that preventing the hearing of the gospel displeases God, opposes all mankind, and merits the wrath of God. Verse 16, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. I don't know if you've heard about this young man who was trying to reach the, the people of the North Sentinel Islands off the coast of India. His name was John Allen Chow, and he was a missionary. And the people are there, there's a, about 100 people on this island, and they are an indigenous group, and they have hardly been contacted by any other human beings. And they're an isolated tribe, and it is actually against the law to go to that island because they want to preserve these, this indigenous people. And, uh, and that's true not only of this tribe that John Allen Chow tried to go to, but it's true of, of about a hundred tribes throughout the world, mostly in South America. But uh, the young man, he uh, illegally paid a couple of people to take him to this island. And, and once he got to the island, he tried to make contact with them, but was killed. Uh, he was shot with bows and arrows. Uh, they're a hunter-gatherer tribe there on the island. And and, uh, and he, was, he was martyred. And so there's been a lot of news uh, about him and about the appropriateness of his actions. And of course, uh, the world would tell us that he was uh, wrong to do what he did. But here's a young man that took the gospel seriously and wanted to take it, the most important message in the world. 
I was reading, there's, a, there's an article that came out yesterday in the New York Post by a, a professor at the University of Connecticut who, is, uh, who specializes, he's a journalism professor, but he specializes in, um, well, he's written a book about the, un, the unconquered in search of Amazon's last uncon, uncontacted tribes. And as I said before, there's about 100 of these tribes worldwide. And about 30 years ago, most of these are in Brazil. Most are in South America, but the largest portion of them are in Brazil. And the Brazilian government, uh, about 30 years ago, has also forbade any contact with these tribes. They monitor these tribes and try to protect them and keep them from outsiders and so forth. And the, the, the architect of this way of thinking that has really influenced the Brazilian government and who is a friend of this author of this article, a fellow by the name of Sidney Pozuelo. Um, Sidney Pozuelo uh, has, has encouraged these government to, to not contact these people because, as the article says, any attempt by outsiders to intrude in the lands of isolated tribes amounts to a form of coercion. And they see it as a form of violence to go and try to share anything with these people. Now, part of it is they're, they're trying to protect them from diseases that we carry, that they would be, uh, that they would struggle to, uh, they've never been exposed to, so they might die from diseases, as has happened in the past. But as well, it's a, it's a wrong view of the importance of the gospel, what we see here. You know, some people would say, well, the, the title of the article is, Isolated tribes need protection from Western arrogance. Isolated tribes need protection from Western arrogance. And Pasuelo, the guy that, ar that was the architect of the, British, the Brazilian, uh, emailed this fellow who's the author of the article, and he said this, Those who seek to change their culture, their gods, or their beliefs are practicing a form of violence. Perhaps people will only understand this when extraterrestrials arrive here and try to evangelize us with their gods and doctrines. Well, that's a bizarre statement, isn't it? Extraterrestrials and all that. But the point is this, that, that he's making, or where he's coming from in his beliefs, is that one religion, one god is no different than the other. They're all made up. They're, they're not significant. The fact of the matter is, when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the truth. God is the true and the living God. And as Paul says here, those who would pre prevent the gospel from going forth displease God and oppose all mankind. Now that's an interesting statement. When you prevent the gospel from going out, when someone prevents the gospel from being heard, they're not only displeasing God, but they're opposing humanity. They're keeping from these people, these hundred tribes or so, the best news any human could ever hear. I mean, you imagine if, if you saw one of your neighbors whose house was on fire and you, you didn't warn them. You know, you would be culpable. Well, we're the same. If we do not attempt to reach everybody with this good news, the greatest news that was ever heard, the news about Jesus coming to earth, laying down his life for sinners like the North Sentinelese tribe. They need Jesus. And John Allen Chow, as much criticism he's getting in the press, his heart was in the right place. Maybe he could have gone about it in a 
wiser way, for sure. Who knows? But here's a young man who took the gospel and the, the need to hear it seriously. And I think of ourselves. Do we really understand how important it is, this news that we have heard? Do you understand how important it is for your own life? Do you, have you responded appropriately to it? Are we all responding appropriately to the gospel on a daily basis? It should make a profound impact on your life and on the way you live your life. And it needs to make a profound impact on our neighbors because it's the truth. It's the news. It happened. And they need to know that it happened. And they need to know why it happened and who, to whom it happened. May the weight of the gospel May we feel that. May we understand it. May we live in light of it. And may we share it with others. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would help us to grasp the gospel and the importance of it for our lives, to rehearse it to ourselves, to think about it. And Lord, we pray that even now as we have a, a symbol and a seal of the gospel before us, that you would... Impress it upon our hearts fresh and new again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.